The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. I remember like when I got diagnosed how relieved I felt. I remember walking home from the doctor's office like skipping almost because I was so happy to have an answer and just feel like Okay, because now I know who the man behind the curtain is, and I'm going to take this guy down. I'm from Brooklyn. This is not going to be an easy fight. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? Hi, Julie, how are you? I'm good, thanks for having me. I'm so happy that we're connecting. So we're going to start out, of course, with your diagnosis story. I know you were diagnosed in 2007. So anything that you want to share with us from that experience that maybe stood out to you, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, it took a really long time to get diagnosed. So I always tell people that the best thing you can do for yourself is if you know something's wrong in your body, don't take one physician's opinion keep finding answers and you know i was negated people they were calling me bulimic i was like i know i'm not bulimic then they were calling me anorexic you know they were coming up with all these then it was ibs and it was all these things that were just dismissive it took six years to get a diagnosis so it was six years of deterioration of progression of just going and feeling like an invalid person and just everything that I said I no one believed me and all it took was one doctor I had to finally go through every I went to a geriatric doctor that was my last resort I had gone to psychologists psychiatrists I'm not a depressed person Um, every gastroenterologist urologist every doctor you could possibly name I had been to and I was at the I was down to 97 pounds from the stress of it And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go to a geriatric doctor who's seen it all, every stage of life. He immediately ordered an MRI and it was clear. So simple. Quick test, you know, a two hour exam, a a test, an MRI, and it was very clear what was going on. So then they did, a week later, they did the spinal tap, which had the CNS in it. So it... It shouldn't have taken that long. And my biggest regret is not being a bigger advocate for myself because I think we all know when something's wrong. <laughs> and when you keep hearing no, you think that, you know, something's going on in my brain. Why am I feeling these things? Right. So, wow, I love that doctor. <laughs> I know. It's like it, it was the best decision I made because, like, I had been living abroad um, and everything was going so well. So there was no, nothing added up. Like, I went to, every doctor and they just couldn't figure it out but it was just why wouldn't you order that if i'm complaining about numbness and tingling and tripping you know i mean google would know that now if the internet wasn't as big as it is now 14 years ago but you know if i had the internet the way we have it now then i think i probably would have diagnosed myself <laughs> i know because when i when i uh, was diagnosed i'm like it's either lyme disease or ms 
And that's it. I just knew because right. I could look it up because it was pretty recent. So I was going to ask you um, what you presented with. So you said numbness, tingling, and... Well, so the I think the main reason why it was so difficult was because I kept thinking I had a UTI. So my bladder and bowel were actually my first symptoms, So, which isn't common. And because I was traveling a lot for work, um, I was nervous to eat because... I couldn't control all of that. I was nervous to drink, you know, even water, because I, I couldn't control how I felt like I had to go to the bathroom all the time. So mm -hmm. I had urgency and then hesitancy. So I was getting UTIs, and then it was just repetitive antibiotics to treat the wrong underlying condition. All of these meds in your body, too, which I'm sure caused a lot more inflammation than you wanted it to. Right, yeah. And I remember, like, when I got diagnosed, how relieved I felt. I remember walking home from the doctor's office, like skipping almost, because I was so happy to have an answer and just feel like, okay, because now I know who the man behind the curtain is and I'm gonna take this guy down. Like, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, this is not gonna be an easy fight. My ex-husband, he's wonderful. He was supportive from the beginning and it, it just, it, knowing what we were up against, we felt like we could take it on, you know? It, not knowing is so much harder. Okay, yes, the shock at first, right? But you know how to, go forward, right? You know that you got to do X, Y, and Z. You know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel that I can handle this now. Because not knowing is like, you just feel like you're lost in space. Yeah. yeah. But then I found out and, you know, I look at it. If you look at when I was diagnosed, there were only three treatment options um, available. So it was pretty... Uh, in a way, I was lucky because I don't know if I'd be able to make the decision now with all the options that people have. Because you have to like, do I want to take a pill? Do I want to worry about effectiveness? You know, there's so much for people to think about that are newly diagnosed, which is a lot harder than, but they're much more effective therapies. But it is a lot to put on someone. I feel lucky that I didn't have to make a lot of decisions in the beginning. Now, did that first DMT work for you? No, none of them. Nothing worked until I switched to Rituxan. So how long have you been on that? I was on it for four years and then insurance cut me off. Um, so then I went on IVIG and ended up getting pregnant. And I didn't know that I could get pregnant because I had tried for many years with my ex-husband. So I was like, there's no way this is happening. But IVIG seemed to be a magic wonder drug. <laughs> that is a miracle baby, right? He is my total miracle, very, very unexpected miracle baby. And I wouldn't change a minute of it. He is everything to me there's nothing he's changed every part of my life and for the better so many people um struggle with getting pregnant and those with ms when you're on the dmts they say you know you need to go off when you're going to get pregnant and so that is a great story i was told not to have children just because of the impact of the disease on my quality of life um and i'm so glad that i didn't make that mistake of missing it because of someone else telling me. I mean, everyone has their right to decide this isn't for them, and I respect that. I always wanted to be a mom, and trying for years and years and years and nothing happening, I finally like came to terms with not being a mom. So when I finally got pregnant, I was like, how is this even happening? <laughs> like, what is going on? But it was the greatest gift, and I'm very happy with the impact it's had on my life and MS. Isn't that wild though, how just things unfold? And I think a lot of it has to do with your mindset and your positivity. When 
we say, you know, this person is in a, a tough situation, but their outlook on life is just so positive that they're always, you know, that glass half full stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's no point in not being that way. I don't understand, you know, everyone's got something to deal with. So, you know, pull them up, pull up your bootstraps and get to work. You're going to do this. You're going to be okay. And, you know, the newly diagnosed, I think they're in the best situation. I know it's hard to think of it that way, but my goodness, you have such great treatment options that you can get on that are effective, that, you know, there's patient assistance program now, now a lot of them patient assistance programs. Um, and there's just more data and there's better, you know, diagnostic measures. You're getting diagnosed earlier. So it's st- halting the disease earlier. Just, it's not the same disease it was when they used to test people and putting them in hot bathtubs. Hey, and talk to me about, okay. So I know it's been 14 years. You did the Rituxan, did that, and you had to switch. You had your child, which is amazing. So what's happening now medically for you? I'm back on Rituxan. Right after he was born, um, I breastfed for three months and then I went back on Rituxan. And thank God, it's the only thing that slows this thing down for me because everything else has, everything else, every MRI, I go for an MRI every six months. I know people go every year, I go every six months. Um, every six months there was a new lesion here. Like now my spine is completely white. You know, they, they don't understand how I'm walking still, but my spine, there's no myelin, it's, it's done. So um, it just, it went from, you know, you have six on your brain, you know, when I was first diagnosed, six on your brain and like eight on your spine to completely gone on my spine. And once I got on Rituxan, it stopped it. It like finally stopped me from getting, I still, like there are new symptoms that pop up, but they're not like the initial where I felt like, oh gosh, like where am I going? I, I really... I was first diagnosed, they said, you'll be in a wheelchair in 10 years. It's 14 years, I'm still walking, I'm still, yeah. I'm like, and you know, and if I end up in a wheelchair, it's not the end of the world anymore. I'm like, there are many perks to this situation. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna, it's not what I used to fear. It's everything that, I have to use catheters. And I always tell people, like, that when they told me, I was like, this is the worst thing that could ever happen, my life is over. And now I wanna go back and hug that girl and be like, get over it, it's nothing. You're going to be completely fine. And of all the things you're going to overcome in life, this is nothing. You're going to be fine. And I encourage anyone that has has bladder issues to address it. Live a better life. Don't wear pads. Don't, you know, just get control back. And you can. I think it's just we have to, all of us have to take away the stigma associated with our AIDS. You know, whether it be a walking device or whether it be a catheter, whether it be a wheelchair. We have to get over the stigma and we have to make the world get over it. And that's our responsibility. So Julie, what you said just now is pretty profound. You know, don't limit yourself, right? Yeah, we take don't have the to. action and make your life better. I, I love what you said. Thank you. <laughs> what are your symptoms now and what has been happening with you recently? I'd love for us to share yeah. that with the audience. Well, my symptoms I have progressive MS, so my symptoms okay are the same as when I was diagnosed, unfortunately. So I still have like the left leg weakness, I still have optic neuritis, I still have bladder and bowel issues, but I manage them. Uh, you know, I, I, the longer you have the disease, even if you're progressing, you just learn to manage and adapt. And I think that has been really beneficial. Like fatigue, 
I know what I have to do. I know how to handle it. And that's the most important is just coming up with tools and a lifestyle that works so that you can enjoy your life. You know, it's so silly. I set, if I have a dinner party, I make it look seamless. But that's me getting up, setting the table at like 11 a.m., take a break, start cooking, take another break. And then, yeah, when they get here, it looks like this was one, two, three. It wasn't. <laughs> I can assure you it was like a well-planned. It's just, it takes a little bit more. But I um, am very, very, very fortunate to be involved in a stem cell phase two clinical trial. It's FDA approved, which was a very big thing for me because I think anyone ethical that is trying to advance medicine for people with MS wouldn't be charging them. We're giving our bodies as guinea pigs. So we want this to be successful and in return for you experimenting on us, we give you our bodies. <laughs> we don't, shouldn't have to pay for that. So um, this is with Dr. Sadiq in New York City and it's the phase two. Phase one um, has had really good post-final treatment data which is published, so if anyone wants to look it up, it's really positive data. And I'm in the phase two, and I have one more treatment to go. So it's a crossover, which means you get six placebo, six real deal. And I know the first six were definitely placebo because I didn't see any difference. But the second, I definitely see a difference. So the first three, I didn't really see a major difference. But then my partner, Adam, was just like, you're not squeezing your hand all the time because my fingers were always numb, so I was always squeezing my hand. And I didn't yes. realize, but he pointed it out. And then I always held on to him on my left side. And he's like, he tapped me. He's like, you don't need me anymore? I was like, oh my gosh, I walked like a mile and I didn't even touch his arm. So I think, you know, the other day we walked, I think it was 7,000 steps. And I could have kept going. Like my son was like, my legs hurt. And I was like, oh, I am, I'm doing all right here. And just, they're, they're not major changes yet and I hope that more is to come but if this stops me from progressing I'll still be on Rituxan and I'll still do that but if this if, if I stay where I am now I got this I can do it I have been doing it for 14 years I can do it I don't want to get worse obviously none of us do but the best thing for us to do is to hope and I think the data is showing that this does work so let's Let's hope that it works. <laughs> and hopefully, I, know, my fingers are crossed. I know, I always feel so guilty being in it because they're so limited. But the great news is that if it works, it's going to be available to the public um, once, I think it's like three years after the final. There's 50 of us in it. I think they're halfway through now. So. And seriously, what you're doing is going to benefit so many people. So yeah. there should be no guilt involved. Thank you. We are so thankful for you for not being just okay with your status quo, but keep moving forward, seeking out new treatments. I mean, yeah. that is a thriver to me. Thank you. You, didn't, you. you weren't okay with, this is just gonna be this way forever. Because, you know, that's a change. It's a, definitely a risk, especially doing a trial like that, right? Yeah. And it's not just you that's risking, it's your husband and your son, your whole yeah. family is involved. So those are big decisions, and we super appreciate um, all that you're doing to help all of us. Thank you. I hope it's worth it. I mean, it's it's so far to me. I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing. I have one more to go. So, fingers crossed. <laughs> so, if you don't know this, Julie has written a book. I'm gonna hold it up here so people can see if they're on YouTube. So it's called Some Days We. So written and illustrated. And I want to know how this all came about with you. 
why did you decide to do this and how has it impacted your life now? I have a really bad memory. So I write letters to my son um, about everything I want to remember, good, bad, everything. So I was looking through one day and I was upset and my son, his name is Jack, came over. He was like, what's wrong? I was like, oh, I was just reading letters that I wrote to you. And I was like, remember that day that I had a scooch, you know, down the hallway? And he was like, oh, train day. And I'm like, wait, what? And so he saw my worst days, my cry myself to sleep. I can't be a mom. I'm the worst mom in the world. This is terrible. He saw them as great adventures. I was like, there's something here because let's go over more of bad days. And so we did just that. And that the book is really, these are things that we've lived through together. And to me, they're my worst days. But I wrote it from the eyes of the sun because as parents, we have to know that they see the world differently than we do. We have to be more forgiving of ourselves and you know, he changed the way I look at my disease. And I think, you know, he's a remarkable boy and I'm so proud of him. And I am so proud of the book. I, so that book is no longer available. We self-published because I wanted to get it in his hands. And you know what it's like. You're trying to get a publisher. It seems, it seems impossible. Yeah, I was yeah. like, forget it. Let's just self-publish and see what happens. But luckily, a traditional publishing house picked us up. And they, you know, they have a lot more behind them. So we got it re-illustrated with more pages. I didn't really have the illustrator and everyone didn't have time to put into the first one. So the new name is Some Days, which is what I wanted the first version, but I forgot. Yeah, so it is, and it's my dream book. It's hardcover. It, it's something that I know the first version has, was well-received. So like Montel Williams, Selma Blair, Linda Carter, so many celebrities are shouting out the first version. So once we got the second, I'm like getting it in their hands. I'm like, you need this. You have to shout it out on your social media. It won't be out until September 28th, but it is my dream. It's unapologetic. If you call any society or organization or go to the library and look for materials to talk to your children about having MS, it to me, for the age bracket that I was looking for, was a little too sophisticated. They don't need to know about demyelination. They don't need to know about relapses. All they need to know is that their parents love them and they're gonna make life okay for them. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's the moral of the story. You're gonna be okay. Um, whether it's a big adventure day or a small adventure day, your parents love you and they're gonna get you through. And when you're telling the story, you're smiling so big because <laughs> Not only I can feel the pride, right, but the relationship that it enhances with your child and him understanding a little bit more what's going on with you. So most kids look at their parent and they think that that guy's a superhero. Yeah. Like All moms super and dads are superheroes. I mean, you are doing so much, even with or without a, you know, a chronic illness. It's hard work. It is. It's a lot. And we are so hard on all parents. We're all hard on ourselves. Do they have enough vegetables? Do they do this? Do they, you know, and just overthinking. And it's so, talking to your children is the most important thing you could do. Sit down, listen to them. Every night I sit down with Jack. What was your good part, bad part, and crazy part? And so we go over that every day. And it's so insane to me because like, to me, I'll be like, oh, the bouncy house was the good part. But it's not, that's not always his good part. You know, like whatever, I can't decide what his good parts are. And I think as parents, we always put it on ourselves to figure out what their bad parts were. 
And that's the book. Those were my bad parts. Those in my mind were going to be the memories that made him hate me. And they're the memories that make him appreciate me. So I think that, I don't know, it made it, it transformed a little bit for me. What you said about getting him to talk is the best thing ever. Really important for them to vocalize their feelings too. That's what we don't do enough is listen to them. Yeah. And so I love that you're saying that. I think the book is pretty powerful and a great tool for not just parents with MS, but if they're going through any type of physical mental impairment, it's just, it's good things that they can definitely relate to. Right. And you can't always see it, you know? Some people have depression. Some, I mean, Adam has epilepsy. You can't see that. <laughs> you know, like everyone has something that's on their plate. Um, and I think we all just need to be a little more forgiving. And I think when you, not necessarily just with my book, but with anything, um, teaching your children, the, my best advice is like when you sit down at the table, make sure they look to make sure everyone else has their food also. Make sure they read the room and let them know that other people matter as much as you do. And, be, you know, it's so important. Obviously, I'm biased. I think he's perfect. But, and he is. But, you know, I think he's kinder because of what I have to go through. He's always looking, you know, if someone looks sad, he's like, do they need a hug? And I'm like, well, COVID, not right now, maybe another day. <laughs> but, but he's kind. And I think it's really important for us all to just be a little more forgiving and see the world, you know, through their eyes. And yes, it's about kindness at this point, right? Everybody, like you said, is going through their own thing. For a child um, so young to recognize that there are others that are dealing with stuff right now, imagine the adult who will become. So kudos to you. Hats Thanks. off, mom. Thank you. I Fingers crossed. That. I'm like, oh, I hope he doesn't become a serial killer. But that's going back to what you said about being hard on yourself. And yeah. that would be really hard on yourself. I know, I know, I know. Did he tell you what he wants to be when he grows up? Oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm a really good mom who wants to be a video game designer. So <laughs> that's excellent. You know, there's a lot of future in that. I know. I was like, how about a doctor? Or do you want to cure MS? Or <laughs> No, video game designer. So. So you just had some, in addition to the stem cell therapy, you've had some recent changes in your life. I did. We moved from, I'm from New York, and we moved to Colorado, and it's been a major adjustment. So I, I love it. I wish we did it sooner, to be honest with you, for my son. I think the care that I got for MS is the best in New York. So that's, that was my hardest transition, so I fly back for that. I have established care here in the event of an emergency but i will fly back for treatment just because we have a phenomenal doctors and I, I feel comfort in their treatment plan for me apart from that it's been like it's funny you know in brooklyn you know you can't just run on grass so when my son got here he was like can i go on that i was like how deprived have you been? You can run and roll. So every day he's like rolling down the hill and I'm like, all right, well. I'm definitely like, don't do this. Don't go too close to the street. Don't do that. And I didn't want his whole life, his mom being like, don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't go there. I wanted him to have a little more freedom. Finding that doctor that's the right match for you is so darn important. It really and is. And when you find that, it's hard to, to leave that, so. Yeah. And, you know, like I can get Rituxan here and just need him to prescribe it. Like I want his dosages, I want his timeline, I want his blood work before. Because he, he's, you know, he's special to me, so. Yeah, and he knows you, so yeah. yeah. 
Plus, you know, the stem cell thing is pretty incredible. I had interviewed some people that had stem cell treatment um, and their story is much, much different than yours. So hearing the differences in the trials, really important, I think, for everybody to gain perspective there and know that even within that treatment, there's choice. Yeah, and it's a very different treatment from the HSCT where you have to go through aggressive chemo and deplete your immune system. This, they take your bone marrow from your sternum or your hip bone, and then they clean it for a couple of months. And then you go in for a spinal infusion every six weeks. And it's, it's a long pro, you know, it took a long time for them to make their selection because the FDA changes their criteria. You had to have the disease a certain period of time, but not too long. You have to have a certain version of the disease. Um, so like relapsing or admitting weren't accepted into the trial. So there were just so many, you had to be a certain age bracket, a certain level of EDSS scale disability. So it was like a lot, and it kept going back and forth, like unfortunately you didn't make it into the trial, and then now they changed the criteria, you're back in. So it was a, the first infusion, I sobbed. Like it's actually happening, they can't stop it now. So your pace and lifestyle has probably changed a lot and slowed down. Tell us a little bit about how you're reacting to that mentally, because that is a big shift. I think I was ready. We were supposed to move before, and then COVID hit. We had bought the house, and we were ready to get in here. And I don't mind slowing down. I, I think we all need to slow down a little bit. And I think unless you're single in New York City or you need to be there because your job is there, there's no reason to be there. <laughs> but that's as a New Yorker. I'm from there. I was like, I don't know why I was there for so long. When we bought here, we made sure we bought where I was in the walking distance to restaurants, a grocery store, and every, like a couple of clothes, like there's Marshalls, Ross, all those things. But it needed to be that I could get there on my own. There's two major supermarkets right here, so I feel like I have that. My son's school is walking distance, which is a major thing. So I feel like once I had those down, I felt fine. Tell me, what else do you guys do for fun over there? We swim a lot and I have no pain in the water. It's such a, you know, you can walk, you can, you know, you can pretend like you're in high heels. It's just a really nice, like to just close your eyes and float sometimes. So we do the pool a lot. And now we just started, it's, I never had a garden. Like I never grew up with a garden, but now we are growing tomatoes and stuff and herbs. It brings me like a lot of joy with Jack running out there to see what's going on with the tomatoes every day. What a great experience yeah. for him. The pool thing, when I get out of the water, especially if it's nice and cold, I feel amazing. Right? For at least an hour. Does it do anything for you? I love it because the heat kills me. I mean, it's just like a weight on me. So if I jump in that pool, I feel great. I mean, I just, I have my son, I always like, I sing a song and I'm like, walking along, nothing's going to happen. And he pushes me in and it's like so much joy to him. And I'm like immediately feeling better. So it's just, yeah, it's such a nice, exp it's something that the joy that it brings him and just to feel better in general. After that, you get a full hour. You're like, let's go play. Let's go do something. It just sounds like your life, if it could, is improving daily. And I am so happy for you, Julie. Thank, Thank you so you. much for Thank being you. with me today. I appreciate Sorry I talked you. your ear off, Edie. <laughs> You've been wondering. Are you kidding me? I like, loved every second. This was uh, awesome. Thanks so much, Julie. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. 
visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. Keep thriving. Thriving.